I'm never going to compliment you again. I keep forgetting that you have an eternal reservoir of confidence that doesn't need to be replenished. What? That's all right. Hey, thanks. No more compliments. You don't need it. Because you always know. When I compliment you on something, you're like, I know I'm a genius, Craig. Yeah, what's the, I'm, 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 I'm the best. Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 90. The countdown to 100 begins. Today, we are talking about short movies, which really can be defined as anything under an hour. I was actually researching that technically, I think the definition of a feature film is 75 minutes. Although I have seen some movies that pass as features, especially back in classic Hollywood that only run 65 or 70 minutes. But uh, I believe somewhere between 70 and 75 is the technical designation of a feature film. So for today's conversation, any short film under that, we're going to call a short film. Who's with us today? Oh, hey, it's Daniel. It's me, Connelly Cruz, the People's Champion. Hello, America. I need a bottle of Coke. And I just want to say we are not sponsored by Coca-Cola. When we are, though, Edwin, I'm going to actually reverse my stance on trying to talk you out of Coca-Cola because of diabetes and encourage you to drink and talk about Coca-Cola as much as possible and negotiate a deal that whenever a team member mentions Coca-Cola, we get like 10 grand. And I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to cut you in on that deal. Every time I get 10 grand, I'm, I'm slipping you a fifty. Okay. A what? A fiver. You can go buy a six pack of Coca Cola and drink more. Or I could be the head of Honcho, you know, the face of Coca Cola, and get all that cheese and then and not give you a single damn cent. Prove the cynics right that entropy wins in the end. And I'm Craig, the founder, programmer, of Secret Movie Club. It's wonderful to have you guys. By the time you listen to this, you will have a few hours to get tickets to the first of our two nights of Hugh Grant and British rom com. I actually am a huge fan of British rom-coms and modern ones. I don't know what that formula was they discovered in the late 90s, but give me more of that. So we are showing Sense and Sensibility, actually Jane Austen, really 19th century, from an Emma Thompson Academy Award winning adapted screenplay directed by a director I love, Ang Lee, who this month is weirdly a a little Ang Lee fest because we got this and then Lust Caution later in the month. And we did The Ice Storm. So when are we doing Jane? Gemini Man and the Incredible Hulk. We need to upgrade our theater to 120 frame rate to watch Gemini Man in its proper form. By the way, I take my hat off to Ang Lee for always doing something different. I heard someone say if they're not afraid, then they're not doing their best work. And hey, sometimes you swing and you hit the home run. Sometimes you bunt and sometimes you strike out. But cinema is better for Ang Lee being in it. And Sense and Sensibility is definitely one of his home runs. But we're doing Sense and Sensibility and Bridget Jones' Diary. On Saturday, we're doing a double of Baz Luhrmann at the Million Dollar Theater. I am a Baz fan. I have to say, specifically the two that we're showing, talking about swinging for the fences, we're doing Romeo plus Juliet. His sort of gangster OG adaptation of Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes in an unspecified, gang-ridden 1990s city with guns and Hawaiian shirts. The Montagues and the Capulets are sort of like rival media families. And then uh, we're following that up with Moulin Rouge. Maybe, although I'm sure this was being done, you know, a thousand years ago, but in some ways the progenitor of jukebox musicals like Edwin's favorite, Mamma Mia, Moulin Rouge stars Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. It's an adaptation of a very famous 
famous opera, La Boheme, and it retains the time period, oddly, the turn of the century. Even uh, painter Toulouse-Lautrec makes an appearance as John Leguizamo playing a short person. The music is all from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and you get Elton John. It's a jukebox musical. That's what I'm getting at. You get Elton John and LaBelle and all this stuff in it, and I'm a big fan of it, too. There are movies that swing for the fences and bring a Bollywood aesthetic, a Hindi movie aesthetic. Baz was always like that, and he's Australian, so I can't say to American cinema because he's an Australian filmmaker. Uh, The following Wednesday... We are showing, for Casey's birthday, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, a movie which Steven Spielberg very famously said, you know, he was really bummed because he made his Big Fat Tom Cruise movie. He was talking about War of the Worlds and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't know if it outgrossed it in the end, but for what it cost to what it made, it was definitely the biggest hit of the year. It surprised everybody. Uh, Nia Vardalos's uh, little movie that could, produced by Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks, just about being Greek and getting married in the Greek community. And when I was a tutor, I used to tutor for the Greek community in LA. And I will tell you from firsthand knowledge, they all knew each other. I had no idea how that worked, but I would be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm tutoring this Greek family in Pasadena when I was on Santa Monica. And they're like, oh, who are they? And I'd be like, oh yeah, we know them. We go to (laughs) church with them. And I was like, what? You're in Santa Monica. And they're like, oh no, all Greeks know all Greeks. I was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, So we're doing my big fat Greek wedding. Then on Thursday, another birthday, Secret Movie Club team member Josh Oakley's birthday. We are doing the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, an amazing all song French, very famous movie. It won at Cannes, starring Catherine Deneuve, directed by Jacques Demy, music by Michael Legrand. And I will put on your, your radars, our open mic shorts night was crazy. Edwin was there. Probably the most packed the theater has ever been. Everybody wore masks, by the way. I just want to say that right off the bat. Edwin showed a movie. Edwin's movie killed. We had so many shorts, we had to do two parts to it. Part one, part two. Both were sold out. It was crazy. There wasn't a dud in the bunch, I have to say. They were all interesting. So we want to keep that going and growing. You know, Secret Movie Club's a community of movie lovers and movie makers, and we want to underline movie making. So in February, our open mic short night is going to be Wednesday, February 23rd. It's always going to be the last Wednesday of the month until we change that. But we're introducing an optional theme. The theme for February is love. No surprise, Valentine's Day. If you want to make a short between now and the 23rd, you got to make it because we announced the theme. If you create something, you automatically get entered in the competition and the winner gets short of the month award and tickets to all events we're doing for the next two months. So if you win in February, you You get to attend every event we're doing in March and April, and you get a two comp tickets. So we hope you'll do that just to create and win the award, and we'll blast your short out to our audience of over 40,000 now. And we'll do an interview. More to come on that. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com, podcast at secretmovieclub.com. Check out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Here we go. I think to start, you should speak, you and Edwin should speak more on how the short night went. I never want you to suggest something to me again. Is that understood? Don't cover your dead. face. You're dead. You made him cry, you monster. That's <laughs> all I know. You're a monster, Craig. You made him cry. How dare you?
I dare you, man. That's the way you cry? And then I make fun of that. Then you guys get me being abusive on mic, and that's it. Today, we are talking about the short film, which is an art form unto itself, much like the short story to the novel. Here, I'm going to go back to my SAT and ACT tutoring days, back when analogies used to be on them. That was back before you guys even took the test. But the short movie is to the feature film, as the short story would be to the novel. Both are actually fairly distinct art forms. I'm a big fan of both. To tee this off, we had our inaugural open mic short night. We did it January 2022. We had 20 films of varying lengths. I think the shortest ran about three minutes, and the longest ran about 22 minutes. So we had the team watch movies. What do you call it? The select? Not, we don't really have a selection committee because we don't want to gatekeep our only rules. Just so people know, actually, our your short has to be under 10 minutes, but we will allow one or two over 10 minutes, which we did. The ones over 10 minutes are, yes, those are from uh, the selection committee suggestions. Can the selection committee be referred to as the municipality? And it can't be intentionally offensive and mean to any group. That was it. That was my only rule. It can be provocative. It can be controversial. It could be NCC. 17. We're not, you know, gatekeeping for language or nudity or even being provocative. You know, you could take on whatever and we would let you in. But if, you know, if it's Alex Jones basically talking about how Obama and Michelle smell like demons or whatever, like I, we, we don't have time for that mess. So that's true. <laughs> and I don't know who the f- those people are. Michelle Obama and uh, oh. Barack Obama. No, I know her. The I former just... president and first lady of the anyway, country. Anyway, just keep going. Politically plugged in, Edwin Gomez commenting again. But anyway, so those were the rules. We showed 20 movies and it was great. These were movies. They ran the gamut. We had Edwin made a sort of psychological slice of life. Very Edwin. It was all about him wanting to see licorice pizza while he had to work. Scored to Ennio Morricone. You don't get more Edwin than that. With, by the way, the famed Edwin shot, which is a boom up from the foot to the face which I've seen in numerous Edwin movies. I like that shot. That's my favorite thing to do. I know. It's like Spike Lee. When Spike Lee puts someone on a dolly and moves them down, that's like your Spike Lee shot. We had horror movies. We had horror comedies. We had movies shot on 35 millimeter. We had sci-fi movies. We had a crazy Czech sci-fi movie from the Czech Republic, and the Czech filmmaker was there. In fact, I was saying one of the great things was the most experimental movies were made by women, which was awesome. We had another movie, uh, which was pretty dope called Chroma about a woman who has synesthesia where I guess you see sounds, which is a real psychological condition. And the way she communicated that cinematically was colored ink and water. So when a phone would ring, this colored ink and water would be superimposed red. It was really dope. It was awesome. I was very happy. I was in the booth the whole time trying to make it run. And there were a few glitches for sure. And the audience was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, part one ran great. Part one, I was like, great, we're through it. Part two, we had a buzz on a movie and it turned out it was a power issue. But thankfully, we got it solved. But we had a 10 minute thing where I had to figure out what was going on. We did say at the beginning it was an inaugural night and there were going to be technical issues because people gave me their shorts on every form of media you could imagine. I got shorts on Blu-rays. I got shorts on hard drives. I got shorts on zip drives. I had to stream shorts. I had to download shorts. Laserdisc. Yeah, I am not defending myself. No excuses. Betamax. Old wax (laughs) cylinder. Yeah, 8-track. I don't know what I would have done. 
kinescope. But anyway, we got through it. Hopefully we'll get better. We'll improve. Point being, it was a joy. People created. It was good. I, I especially liked the, the first one. There was a short that I really loved called Joe. I thought that was like one of the best of night. Oh, the Joes. The noir gangster one in black and white. I think that was my favorite. And also the killer pool cleaner. That was also pretty cool. I love that one a lot. Neil. Especially like a, a rendezvous. That one's really funny because I know those people and they're really great. That was my personal favorite of the night. It killed in the audience. So that one, it was a, another, it, you know people who know how to make shorts because that one's like three minutes. It's like this woman and she's like ready DTF. So she drinks some wine and she gets out a Ouija board and summons a demon. And then she has sex with the demon. And then the next night she wants to like do it again. And the demon talks like he's like a Tinder dude. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so the demon on the Ouija board is like DTF. And then she's like, yeah. And then the next night she tries to summon him and he doesn't respond. And then she tries and he's like, who dis? And she's like, what the? F-? And then it cuts. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all her. It was just, it was all her selling it because it's just an actor in a bedroom. I'm going to collaborate with those people because I, I pitched them an idea. So I'm teasing a short called uh, NoHo Ninja or Valley Ninja. I'm going to wager inspired by Edwin watching New York Ninja at the new Bev. This is kind of like when Universal announced the Dark Universe, and I've never <laughs> seen a thing about that since. I better see. No, Ninja. Man, Daniel developed an edge somewhere between November and February. Daniel, you're bringing it. The segueing from contemporary filmmakers making shorts, which who knows? Maybe when those filmmakers become famous, will show up on whatever media exists in the future as, hey, here's one of their original shorts. You see that all the time with like Scorsese and Spielberg and John Woo and plenty of filmmakers. There are also very famous short filmmakers throughout the history of cinema, probably most notably people like avant-garde filmmakers like Stan Brakhage, who I'm going to talk a little bit about, who basically devoted almost the entirety of his career to shorts. He was a mid 20th century to he just passed. He was one of the few people I ever wrote a fan letter to. And I got a, a letter back from his uh, wife because he was in bad health at the time. But and Stan influenced most famously Trey Parker and Matt Stone. That's why one of the characters in South Park is named Stan. Stan Brackage was actually their teacher and they love Stan so much. And he was so supportive of them. They named one of the characters Stan. There's Maya Darren who made meshes in the afternoon. There's Bruce Connor who in many ways provided the prototypes of what would become music videos, their music videos, which then became the training grounds for people like David Fincher and Mark Romanek and many, many uh, music video directors that made the transition. Michael Bay commercials have operated as a short film training ground. That's where Ridley Scott came from, TV commercials. And then there's the omnibus film, which we've touched on. Filmmakers like Godard and Fellini and Woody Allen, Martin Scorsese, uh, they've all dipped their feet into making half hour to hour uh, Satyajit Rai. We're going to get to it. So New York stories. Three segments, three directors. One of them sucked. Two are great. Loved them. First segment is directed by Scorsese, which is Life Lessons, which is... Uh, they each run about 30. I like Life Lessons a lot. Nick, Nick Nolte brings his A-game to that picture. And I just don't like uh, what's-her-faces that's in it. Patricia Arquette? No, I'm sorry. Roseanne Arquette. Roseanne Arquette. The bad Arquette. I, I did not like her at all. She's <laughs> not a good actress. I appreciate your candor, but what if you become a famous director and suddenly you get to work with the Arquettes? And they're like, no, because you said one of our siblings was the bad Arquette. Okay, just keep going. It's kind of weird to see a, sh- a very short version of a Scorsese movie. And when you watch the movie, it feels longer than 30 minutes. It's very good. I didn't like this Coppola one because I felt that one ran like... 
really, really too long. Most people consider that Coppola won the weak link. I actually like it. It was written with Sophia, his daughter, famous director Sophia. I, I actually am very moved by it because it's about family. My mom likes that one too, but many people uh, find it to be the weak link. It is. And there's the Woody Allen one, which... Um, Oedipus Rex. That one w- was the best one. That's like the last one, you know, to be funny. The closer. But that's the best closer. I really love that one. And also that same thing. It's, like, it was a Woody Allen movie, but it's short it has a great pace, a nice speed to it. It's hilarious. It's got all the Woody Allen perks in that picture. I love the mom. She is hilarious. Maybe you could probably say one of the funniest uh, mid to late period Woody Allens. Yeah, most definitely. Because during that time, he was making like dramedies, you know, serious films. But the- Crimes and Misdemeanors, Another Woman, September. And in, in that movie, that's like him coming, slightly coming back to his comedic days. It's very funny. It's a very funny short. I highly recommend watching that. Just skip the Coppola one, and uh, yeah, you're good, man. Don't skip the Coppola one. Uh, what Edwin picked is actually great. That's called an omnibus movie. People have been making omnibus films. I don't know when the first one was, but very early in cinema's history. And that's where three to five directors will get together and, and sometimes more and will contribute short films based on a theme. Some of the famous ones, there are two or three very famous Italian ones. And Fellini, the reason eight and a half is called eight and a half is because he contributed, I think, two short films to different omnibus ones. So he counted each of those as a half film. Godard has done shorts in New York Stories because I I love New York Stories. That was Woody Allen's idea. And originally it was going to be Scorsese Spielberg Allen. And Spielberg was going to do the middle one. And then he had to drop out for some reason. And Coppola came in and Scorsese's, which I love. My favorite is probably the Scorsese one, Life Lessons, is based on a Dostoevsky short story. It's incredible. And shot by Nestor Almendra who did Days of Heaven. Sometimes I struggle with anthology films to a degree, but I, I like omnibus films because I think you kind of approach them differently. Sort of interconnected things, I think having a bunch of different viewpoints on them is really interesting. I really like to see especially established directors get to like take a stab at these short films, which I think a lot of, you know, I think we get some directors like the Safdie brothers made a, a short film with Adam Sandler after they did Uncut Gems and they sort of don't have to live in short film territory anymore but they i don't know there's a a very weird stance of how short films are perceived people don't seek them out the same way they don't have the same level of appreciation which i think is very odd especially because all of us most filmmakers operate in short film territory because it's an accessible length and something you can maybe afford so i think anytime an established quote-unquote a-list director does a short when they're still making other things is i think very cool and very inspiring at least in like a like going to film school capacity, it's, it's cool to see people doing the same things that you can kind of do. I like the omnibus concept a lot, actually. Daniel, one of the more recent examples of the anthology would be, and there's many more that are even more recent, but Paris Chatem, where people would all make a short around Paris and the Coen brothers did one with Steve Buscemi and Alfonso Cuaron did one with Nick Nolte, which actually sort of telegraphs his master shot approach in uh, Children of Men and Roma. And, you know, David Lynch did a great one when they did. There was one where everybody got one of the original film cameras that were hand cranked. Premonitions following an evil deed. I didn't want to go first because the thing I have written at the top of my notes is the sentence, 
do I even like shorts? <laughs> and I didn't want to start the podcast off on that negativity, but I do love a lot of Lynch's more experimental, like he makes really short shorts. Premonitions is, I think, exactly a minute long. It's wild. People should look it up. It's Premonitions Following an Evil Deed. You can find it on YouTube. When you watch it, it's actually one shot. It's one continuous shot. They look like there's cuts in it, but it's because they're like lowering something in front of the camera. And all of the edits and transitions in it are done completely in camera. And it really is just kind of an experiment, but it's a uh, fascinating little experiment. And it looks so weird and and beautiful looking. Have you guys seen David Cronenberg's short, The Last Jew and the Last Cinema in the World? It's pretty crazy. Basically, Cronenberg with a gun... He's considering shooting himself in the mouth, although I don't know that he's playing Cronenberg necessarily. And there are these two Gentile commentators or goy, like basically non-Jewish commentators who are basically commenting on the death of the last Jew and the death of movies. And it's very Cronenberg and very provocative and also very funny in a very weird, dark Cronenberg way. And it, it maybe runs three minutes, if that, two minutes. And I remember seeing that one and being like, whoa. The stuff I gravitate to is like the really short stuff or like music videos. Sketches almost fall into that territory. You can also uh, count in uh, Martin Scorsese's music video for uh, Bad. Because there's a whole other segment before the actual music video starts. And you brought up Mark Romanek earlier, and I love his video for Nine Inch Nails Closer. I think I was put off of short films a little bit because I went to a famous American film school and a major part of our <laughs> curriculum was that we were constantly making shorts and more so than that, we were constantly like several days a week getting up at like 9 a.m. and going to an auditorium and watching the shorts and then having the four people who made it get up on stage and have like a trial by fire. We had the same thing at, yeah, USC. There's nothing quite like something like that that'll make you not like something. In my opinion, I found it to be a uh, largely kind of negative experience. I think the worst shorts, no offense to anybody, are like the 10 to 20 minute range because it's like not enough to really invest me into something, but it's also enough rope to hang yourself with. Like the really short stuff, I think, is where the real, the good stuff is. Because I think when you start getting longer, you start getting into um, people trying to recreate like a three act structure in miniature. And I don't think that really works. I understand the importance of shorts and I want to make shorts, but I really don't have the drive to make shorts other than as potentially a jumping off point to make features. I made a huge mistake among many in film school. At my film school, you started by making five shorts and you could do whatever you wanted. You were just on a three week rotation on Super 8 and it was great. There were no rules, just do whatever you're doing three weeks. And I think the way that USC structured it was they would introduce more and more criticism and more and more oversight to, I think, sort of replicate the studio process. That was my guess. But the second stage, your second year, second semester you made the rule was it had to be under five minutes i believe black and white 16 millimeter short and i originally had an idea that was very abstract which was a single shot to music that i was going to repeat again and again and again with different variations and it was just going to be musical and emotional i should have made that thing then i'm so embarrassed to tell this story first love of my life Blah, blah, blah. I went to Prague. I came back. She was over me. Ouch. My heart was broken. I decided, 
hey, I'm going to burn a semester, make <laughs> a short on my heartbreak, which no one needs to see, especially so close to it. So I tried to turn it into a narrative thing. It runs 10 minutes. Didn't need to be 10. My teacher is like, Craig, this doesn't need to be 10 minutes. I'm like, my heart is broken. <laughs> I've got to tell the story in 10 minutes. He's like, no, you don't need 10. Had I had some objectivity and perspective, I would have stuck with my avant-garde five-minute idea because that's, like you said, Connor, I think where the short played. No one needs to see a 10-minute story about a dude's heartbreak they were like no one needs to see that i'm not saying you don't make movies about your pain you do but i was too young and too dumb to know how to spin that pain into art i think well going off connor's thing about lynch a few years ago he dropped that short film on netflix out of the blue where it's him as a detective interrogating the monkey and everyone was just like what is this it's incredible (laughs) it is pretty wild to see like Spike Jones gets money from these companies like a perfume company or Apple and creates these like five, six minutes like visual short. The Apple commercial of the woman dancing with the HomePod and the rooms expanding as she does it. It's all practical. It's incredible. And like, why did they give him money to do that? Except then it goes viral. Or he did. It was a perfume commercial with Margaret Qualley dancing through an auditorium of a, I think it's like a play or something. And she dances through it. It's it's awesome. But like, it doesn't make, like, how do they get the money to do that? It's incredible. And that feels like very much a continuation of his uh, Fat Boy Slim music video. Yeah. It just sort of is like, they hired him to be him. Which is a great one. The, the Chris Walken one. One of the most famous music videos ever where Christopher Walken, who never got an opportunity to dance, suddenly flies through this hotel lobby dancing to a Fatboy Slim song. Weapon of choice, right? And I love music videos. I do struggle with music videos that stop the music to tell story. I realize I could just listen to the soundtrack, but it drives me bonkers. Isn't there like a devious practical reason they do that? So you can't download the song or something? But like the 80s, you weren't downloading stuff yet. Like Thriller freaking stops and does stuff and has story elements and i'm like play me the song it's because it's art daniel i guess my brain's like i want two versions because i i want thriller the song with all the dance but then i also want and then i guess you can also have this one that stops the music every 20 seconds to do its thing i enjoyed it a five minute short that's bad feels like an hour and a half long movie <laughs> and it is weird because i think yeah. the most interesting thing about shorts is you can't structure is kind of out the window which is really freeing but for me is also really challenging because you you can sort of stick with an idea and follow it through in the way you want to without having to dictate the normal story things that sort of help an audience through the story. And you do get weird. I feel like the best shorts are very short or they jump into like the half hour territory and then they kind of have something interesting. Agreed. Under five or over 25. I have that same thing where I feel like a 90 minute movie, perfect. A three hour movie, perfect. Two hours and 10 minutes is annoying. And I couldn't tell you why. I don't understand why that number, but like 210, 220, what are you doing? Make the three-hour movie or cut it to 90. I wish I could explain. I don't have great examples, but anytime I see a movie that's 140 minutes, I'm like, what are you doing? Here? We just showed Daniel to kick off our Daring Doc series, a Margot Benesaroff doc called Araya, which is incredible about these salt miners in Venezuela who'd been salt mining the same way for 500 years. And she talked about the very thing you're talking about. I guess a three hour cut of Araya existed. And to get into the Cannes Film Festival, she cut it down to 90 and didn't make a dupe print. This is back 
back before digital. So the only way that you would have a copy of a cut would be to make a dupe print, basically 35 millimeter print. And she said that she couldn't explain it, but her three hour cut was quicker than her 90 minute cut because they so butchered the 90 minute cut to get it into can. And it was something she regretted the rest of her life because there was a rhythm to the three hour cut that was lost in the 90 minute cut. And I've experienced that editing. There's a moment where the movie's really rocking. And then if you add something or take something, it doesn't matter if you're expanding it or contracting it. It doesn't have the rhythm. My favorite thing to do with shorts, the reason I sometimes find them appealing is, for example, like Sundance is happening right now. And typically you can't be a part of a festival for whatever reason in terms of as an audience member. But I find it really interesting that a lot of the stuff that starts to pick up traction, finding the filmmaker short films is a really interesting look to see if that thing might excite you. I've been doing it for years, but I remember when um, The Farewell was coming out, Lulu Wang's The Farewell, it was getting a lot of traction. And like he had a short film from a few years prior called Touch that was a similar thing, kind of about cross-generational conflict in Chinese-American culture. And was sort of a statement, even if it's a very different movie, a statement on like what type of filmmaker she is. And then to see what she becomes in the feature is like this very cool bridge, I think, because you have all this freedom in a short and you sometimes wonder when they get picked or what freedom they'll still have when they get to make their feature. Or like Celine Sciamma, who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The thing that brought me onto her was like in college, she had a short film called Pauline that was, I think, on, just on YouTube. It's this weird connective tissue that I think sometimes a short can really pull you into an artist before you commit to their feature. And I am especially obsessed when there's little things or motifs or technical things that they are doing in their shorts that become part of their feature that I find so interesting. But at the same time, I'm also on Connor's side that if you went to any sort of art school, the way that they use shorts against you to punish you for trying to make something is the most bizarre way. Those situations, you actually, I think you make friends in that because you find people that understand how to criticize and critique to help you. And then you find the people that don't know how to speak to it. So they're just mean. I honestly think it probably burns people out on the, on the art they're trying to do because it's you feel insane while you're doing it. You're like, I tried really hard to make this thing because I'm learning these things and you're getting like butchered by it, which I think is why something like our open mic night is so appealing to people because it's just about the experience. You're not there to get, you might meet people, but you're not there to get like showing my college short at that seems like such a nice experience versus showing to a class and then the silence as the lights come up as you wait for people to say the meanest stuff about you. It's like if you went to do like an open mic stand up and then afterwards the lights came up and everyone gave you notes. (laughs) (laughs) The irony of my short is that I don't think it was the best short because it clearly plays as a heartbreak short. And this is going to sound really weird, but I met on that short one of the loves of my life. Weirdly, so I was making a short about heartbreak And then met Jessica, who was incredible. And she and I went out for over four years. I mean, she was my 20s. And so had I not made that short, I don't know if I would have met her. So I, as a filmmaker, could have made a way better short, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because Jessica was just incredible. I just want to give a shout out to Jessica. We're still friends. I'm sure she doesn't listen to these podcasts, but if she does, I want her to know how important that short is to me because I met her. If I had to pick one quick short to recommend and talk about Don Hertzfeldt's World of Tomorrow, which is now has three parts. If you're familiar with Don Hertzfeldt's work in terms of his animation and his style, great, great, great stuff. But World of Tomorrow is like incredible. And it's sort of, I feel like to describe it as maybe not fair, kind of going slightly blind, but it's it's essentially this sort of science fiction-esque thing about a young girl dealing with the universe to a degree going blind i think the first episode's only like 15 minutes 
It's really great. And then they stay consistently great as he did these follow-ups. And he was just putting them on the internet at the time. And I think that it's as good as any feature. Stan Brackage, who will, God willing, actually do a whole series devoted. Brackage was a notoriously prickly character, but I think one of the greatest movie makers who ever lived. He started making movies in the 50s as a teenager. And actually, I think it's safe to say that movies may have kept him from committing suicide. He actually, instead of committing suicide, made made a movie about contemplating suicide as a 16 or 17 year old. I think it was called Anticipation of the Night. It's a beautiful film made by a 17 year old boy in the 1950s. Somehow he found this way to channel, I think, everything he was going through. And he used that template for the rest of his life. So uh, when his wife had a child, he made this great movie called A Water Window Baby Moving, which is about the water birth of one of his children. And it's now shown to women who give home births. My uh, cousin, who was a midwife for the longest time, now she's gotten her master's and is a nurse. She would show that and watch it. And then when his marriage was falling apart and they were having affairs, he made this crazy movie called Cat's Cradle. That's an abstract movie about infidelity and wife swapping and husband swapping and stuff. Probably his most famous movie is a movie called Dog Star Man, which he made in Boulder, Colorado. It runs about an hour long in four parts. That is his existential philosophical mission statement. And it's really hard to explain. It it includes footage of solar flares with a man played by Stan Brackage trying to climb a mountain with shots of Boulder and then abstract painting on film. But when you see it and you see his films, it just tells you it's so inspiring to me because it wakes you out of, I think, a more standard way of making movies. And you're like, oh, I could paint on film. I could have slugs of black. I could have slow motion. I could have superimpositions. There's all this stuff I can do and I can weave it into feature filmmaking. And I think what I love about people like David Fincher and people who come out of shorts is they weave that avant-garde stuff into narrative filmmaking. And Hitchcock was famous for doing this. He would sneak in ways of making shorts and avant-garde. But my favorite brackage is, I hope we show it, it's in my top 10 of all time, is a movie called The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes. It is crazy intense. I have to give a trigger warning ahead of it. Brackage was dealing, he was in Pittsburgh and he was dealing with death. I think he was again having some kind of crisis about death and he went into a police morgue and for two nights or three nights filmed autopsies and there is no sound and the the agreement he made with the doctors was that no one would be filmed in a way where you could identify them, neither the doctors nor the bodies. And you watch this 25 30 minute movie on autopsies and you really have to deal with the body. You really have to deal with what death is. It's pretty crazy as you watch these autopsies happen. But this philosophical thing happens because there's no sound where you say, well, what is my body? What will happen to me? Who were these people? What is death? And you're looking at it for 30 minutes. And it's one of the most profound things I've ever seen. Now, I don't think you could have done that at 90 minutes. I don't think anyone would have taught. I think you can barely tolerate it at 30 minutes. And I think that the short is specifically good at something like that. Anybody want to shout out anything else? Grindhouse trailers. Yeah, those grindhouse trailers are the best part of Grindhouse. Well, Death Proof, I actually really like, but the trailers are hilarious. What's your favorite Grindhouse trailer? The Edgar White one? Don't. And uh, Eli Roth's is uh, Thanksgiving. That one, that one's pretty good. I really like the Eli Roth one. It may be my favorite thing Eli Roth ever did because it's such a great riff on really gross 70s movies. And it's funny and it works. But I mean, that shot to when they cut to the Thanksgiving dinner and the killer's like making love to a head and you're like, whoa. <laughs> 
pop culture and final thoughts. I've been really liking James Gunn's Peacemaker show, but I think it's been doing pretty well without me shouting it out. Is he directing them? He wrote all eight and he's directing five of them. To me, the thing that reminds me the most of is Super, that film he did, in the sense that the Peacemaker character doesn't really have powers. He's just kind of a... A lunatic. It's, it's a blast. If you like gun stuff, especially Super in the Suicide Squad, it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. I did a little weird run of creature feature films, which I don't know if I should shout them out because they were all pretty bad. I took my sister out to the buffet, you know, celebrate her birthday. Hey, happy birthday to Yvette. Took her to the Chinese buffet, some Chinese noodles, so it was pretty cool. We tasty stuff, and uh, we crashed uh, a scooter together, which was not fun. <laughs> and uh, I posted a Lethal Weapon 3 for her. This one last thing. Um, I guess we, we didn't know this was the Edwin show, so. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, uh, I, I had a great run this year. So I'm just saying, I, I've seen 77 movies this year. So you're saying that you've seen 77 movies in one month. Yeah. I want to put together like a quiz for retention. <laughs> I had one year where I topped 600, and I was like, wow, I, I did it. And I wish I could tell you, I don't remember half the movies. I was like, my brain is just fried watching like three or four a day. I was like, what's that? I don't retain a single thing. I don't remember. A, there were movies that someone would be like, oh, we should watch this. It's really good. I'd be like, I'll put it on my list. And I would go look at my list. And I was like, I did watch this. I looked at this thing for two hours. I watched every minute of it. I don't remember a thing. I've been a busy bee and I'm very behind on everything. But I, I watched the Charlie XCX documentary Alone Together, which was which was good if you're a fan of her music. It's also just cool to see she essentially, when uh, the lockdown was announced in L.A., she announced she was going to make an album in two months. Strictly remotely, she had never mixed or mastered an album. And she made a whole album in two months with all these collaborators digitally. And she open sourced it so she would show fans lyrics and they would give her ideas and she built it with people online as like this big community thing and it's very cool it's like 67 minutes on hulu it's if you like her music it's a very cool into like an artist and fans relationship when they sort of open up and let you get involved and then i also watched ashgar Farhadi's new film a hero i've talked about him on the podcast many times one of my favorite directors his new one is about a man who is in prison because of a debt he's owed and and my assumption, what I've learned is in Persian culture, the way that jail works is the person who they wronged has a say in their release. And so the main character is basically trying to, they get these days of leave to go out into the world. And he's trying to convince his creditor who he owes his money to, to let him out, that he has his plan to repay him. And during his time out, he comes across something that could technically help him get out and sort of uses that as a, a thing. And if you've seen any of Farhadi's movies, he's incredible. The stakes are all personal. There's no threats of violence. There's no big action moments, but it has the same tension as any of those great movies. He's made some incredible stuff, but I think this is his best sense of separation and it's very good. It's on Amazon and I highly recommend it. I recently saw Orson Welles' The Immortal Story, which only runs an hour and was shown on French television with Jean Moreau and Orson Welles and two other great actors. And I just never seen it. It's not one that's talked about a lot. It, it was his made in 1968 based on a Isaac Dinesen short story, the Karen Blexen, who out of Africa was made about. I loved it. It was this incredible movie about a man, a businessman in Macau who really has no imagination. And one day his clerk tells him this story that sailors have when they get off boats about a rich man inviting the sailor home and saying, I can't have kids, but if you 
you will be with my wife for the night. I'll give you money and then I'll have a kid who can inherit everything. And they know that this is just a story that sailors tell. And the businessman played Boris and Wells is so infuriated that this might not have happened in real life that he wants to make it happen in real life. So he gets his clerk to find a woman, to find a sailor. He's going to be the rich man. And it becomes a movie about why you can't and you should not play God. And it's incredible. And it runs an hour, and I wouldn't add or take anything away from it. It's beautifully shot. It's probably the last movie Orson Welles shot in his style. It was also his first color film before he graduated to the F is for fake, other side of the wind montage style, which characterized his last two movies. Watch it. It's Orson Welles. It's pure Orson Welles. And I can't believe we don't talk about it more. Forgive me. (laughs) I had a John Ford dream. I've never had a John Ford dream. And it must be because it's John Ford. He's our director of the year. And, and like I'm doing all this stuff and it really made me happy. So I, I just want to share it. I hope it doesn't bore people to death. But whenever I dream of a director, it really means a lot to me. I don't really do that all that often. So when they pop into my dreams, I write them like this means something or not. You can tell me, Greg, that's just wish fulfillment. In this dream, John Ford is actually a little older than he was when he died. And he has a cane. And we're in this beautiful park and he has a mustache for some reason. And he, he's very serene. He's at peace. He's not like he was in real life. It seemed like he had found some kind of peace and he walks up this hill and he stands at the top of the hill and I'm just slightly below him like I can't come up the hill with him and I don't even want to and he looks and he surveys this beautiful countryside and park and he motions to me to speak and I stumblingly go uh uh we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal uh uh and I stop and he points his cane at me to keep going and I keep going and I go we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed with certain unalienable rights. And among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then he points to me. He doesn't say anything. Often the directors in my dream who've passed never say anything. Stanley Kubrick never said anything. John Cassavetes never said anything. And Ford didn't say anything. But he pointed to me and I knew what he was communicating to me was that this was the whole MO of his entire body of work was that all men are created equal and that he held that truth to be self-evident. And I got really teary-eyed and he looked at me and he got really teary-eyed and then he motioned to like the countryside and then I woke up. So I just have to share that dream. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Ford. It was a beautiful dream. And I'm glad, at least in my dream, that you seem pretty chill and happy and you're just walking around with your cane looking at the American countryside. So there you go. Thank you guys. As always, um, like we said tonight, if you just need to laugh, we are going to be showing Sense and Sensibility, which you're going to cry a little too. That's a great sort of Jane Austen comedy of manners and Bridget Jones Diary. Tomorrow, we're going to be doing Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge, a Baz Lerman double at the Million Dollar Theater. As always, this episode was edited by Connor Lloyd Cruz. Our next episode, Secret Movie Club Podcast 91, is actually inspired by a conversation we had off camera. It's going to be about genres that don't move us. Edwin and Connor were both talking about how they're not really into the rom-com or the romance genre. And so February is not really like their favorite month of programming as far as Secret Movie Club. And I thought that that was like really valid and really interesting. So we're all going to talk about genres that don't move us and get into a conversation about genre. And I'm sure genres that do move us will then come up as well. Hopefully it'll be a dynamic conversation. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. There we go. Thank you, everybody. Love you, family.